Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. The Verve enjoyed five years of commercial success and critical acclaim in the UK before breaking up in 1995. Two years later, they reunited and released their biggest song, Bittersweet Symphony. The song quickly led to legal issues due to sampling of a Rolling Stones cover, and the band broke up again shortly after. We're joined this week by Sam Gilman of First to Eleven to discuss The Verve and their beloved hit from the perspective of someone who recently covered the song. All right, Sam, so you chose the Verve Bittersweet Symphony, not to be confused with the Verve Pipe. And I have to say right off the bat, this is a much better song than The Freshman by <laughs> The Verve Pipe. But I didn't know there was so much to get into with this song. Let me back up a second. I don't know if this is actually a sample in this song or if they recreated the original thing, which we'll get into. Sam, do you know if this is a sample or if they recreated what <sighs> I, sounds like I've thought sample? about that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer. Part of me thinks that I, I don't know, like the licensing agreements that were in place back then when this was recorded. I don't know. I seriously, I don't know. Yeah. But if it was a sample, then I'm sure someone much more in tune with this could probably, you know, figure out where it comes from. Well, Matt, we Matt can, looks like he do knows. we want to, <laughs> I was going to say, do we want to get into this right now or do we want to wait until later? Cause this is kind of, in a lot of ways, this is what hurt the Verve's career. And they got, in my opinion, very much the short end of the stick on this is that it's a sample of an orchestra's cover 
of a Rolling Stones song. And they followed all of what they thought was the proper process. And they got approval and paid for the royalties for that cover. What they didn't realize was that they also had to buy the songwriting credits off of the Rolling Stones manager, who then went and sued the band for him not getting any royalties for the songwriting credits. And at the end of the lawsuit, the Verve walked off with $1,000 for this entire song. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger took full songwriting credits on it. And the guy who managed the Rolling Stones got all of the royalties and ownership of the song. So, like, they really didn't ever see any money from their only big hit in the United States. Wow. God, that breaks my... You know what? It also... I mean, I guess in a way it kind of makes me fearful because, like, now that stuff is so much more amplified, like, everyone wants to keep tabs on... What's being like, even even in like my somewhat short original career, like we've I've experienced difficulties with getting samples from producers before and everybody kind of has their own like, well, I want this percentage. And, and that that's such a bummer. That makes me so sad. <laughs> I will say my favorite quote came from uh, Richard of the Verve, who when asked about it, he said, well, to be fair, Bittersweet Symphony is the best Rolling Stones song in 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I, man. I would definitely agree with that because I remember the Rolling Stones 90s songs, which is much of like, I feel like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones are always spoken in the same sentence. And this might be a bold statement, but I don't think those two bands should be said in, in the same sentence whatsoever. I think it's a burnout versus fade away type situation where it's like because the Beatles career was so short, they didn't have time to do the 40 years of damage that the Rolling Stones were able to do. Like, I think if the Beatles and the Rolling Stones both broke up at the exact same time in their career, then they'd be comparable. But the Rolling Stones just kept going and really kind of tarnished what like their really solid start of their career was. Yeah, you know, it's also funny because you speak them in the same breath, but, like, my dad was a huge Rolling Stones fan, but if I was like, what's another band you listen to? He's not going to immediately follow that up with, oh, you know who else? I really like the Beatles. He's like, I like the Clash, and I like Squeeze and stuff. He's not going to go, like, the Rolling Stones and, yeah, probably the Beatles next. Like, I I agree with that. Actually, we did did a, a commission for the Rolling Stones. We did You Can't Always Get What You Want. And uh, we had, I, I suppose, First Eleven is some very, like, it, I almost wish they were here to give their very, like, mixed views of, like, the very coveted, especially the Beatles. They have, like, uh, most of us are split on the line of, like, the Beatles did so much, like, simplicity does not directly correspond with, like, mindless music. Like, it's, they have uh, beautiful songs, and I don't know how anybody could really argue that. But then there's, like, there's uh, the person who plays bass, Ryan in First Eleven, he's he's on a different side of the fence with that where he's a bit more um, like, imagine if there was a Beatles today, like what would people think of them if people wrote the same, like almost like lullaby-esque songs. It's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. I think that the Beatles laid the groundwork for everybody. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. I don't know if you could simplify them as, I mean, yeah, sure, they have some chill songs, but I just think that like you be hard-pressed to find anybody that wasn't in one way either directly or indirectly influenced by the Beatles when it comes to rock and roll music, pop music. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Whereas I don't feel that way about the Rolling Stones. I don't know. I don't know. May- maybe I never dove deep enough into the Rolling Stones, but I know that the of the Rolling Stones hits. I'm just not fe- <laughs> not feeling them nearly as much. I would I would go as far to say as like the Brian Wilson Beach Boys are much more important in my opinion than anything the rolling stones did i don't know i wasn't there in the moment to experience the rolling stones i think they're cool i just you know musically i i don't go as deep but that's not who we're here to talk about we're here to talk about the verve and this story behind this band was way more interesting than i thought this was gonna be i guess it's one of those songs that's kind of played in the background of my life that sample that we're talking about which i don't know to me that's kind of the song (laughs) the the (laughs) melodies and the lyrics which when i looked into the lyrics they're really cool and yeah the melodies are cool but it's that sample man and i can kind of see the argument that that first of all The way that sample makes me feel is I feel like for some reason, the first thing I think of, and I don't know why I think of this, but it makes me think of like 
a commercial for like chocolate where the chocolate is really the chocolate is very decadent chocolate and it's like you know like a liquid chocolate coming down i don't know why it may i don't think it was actually used for that but i could see it very easily being used for that and that's what it makes me think of i didn't realize the huge impact of this song i guess especially in the uk but also just in general from a critical acclaim uh standpoint of this song of how like highly praised and and so much acclaim thrown on this song over the years i didn't realize that i don't know i guess i was just not hip to that so we had gotten a lot of requests to do this one and like everyone can sing back that melody but the hardest ones to do are are the ones that are that kind of repetitive because you're like, how how much can you mess with this song? How much can you flip it, interpret yeah. it? And then there's also the idea that song's pretty. Li- I want isn't that song like over five minutes, like yeah. the original recording? And and so yeah, that it was a tricky one. But when you get into like the super highly coveted song, I mean, now we're putting out, you know, a song a week. It's not as much risk reward. But when you put out such a song that's so acclaimed and everybody from any genre or background can really just think of that song when they hear it. Palms get a little sweaty when you think about having to put out a new cover of it. I can tell you that much. (laughs) It's funny. I guess just from my perspective, I didn't think of this song in this band as more than just another 90s one-hit wonder. I think in my research of the band, I got a little more of an appreciation for them. You know, I thought it's really cool when I saw some interview stuff with Richard Ashcroft where he talked about how the bittersweet part of the bittersweet symphony is about how he perceives life as being this thing where you ceaselessly toil to make ends meet only to die in the end. I thought that was a pretty dark and deep thing about this song that I never really paid attention to the lyrics to. (laughs) Yeah, I think I, I have an appreciation for this song for sure yeah i mean i feel like that is a bit of the the underlying theme with a lot of the like more like european-esque like grunge kind of like english beat like very very politically charged or maybe not even politically charged but very just like very kind of polarizing lyrics that's very like it hits you in the face and then you're like that was a really that was a really nice song and then like like you said you go back and you look yeah. at the lyrics so it's funny i i modeled that cover after the smashing pumpkins and the smashing pumpkin song i i'm a huge fan good friends of mine who have not really ever touched music will listen to like today because it's on rock band and they're like man this song is so great I'm like yeah that song's song's pretty dark like yeah. i would never <laughs> uh, i'd never burst your but it's a beautiful song listen to it to your heart's desire. But man, I mean, just take a second and listen to it. But I think that's so beautiful. I mean, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I, I definitely think that Billy Corgan is a, of all of the like grunge bands of the 90s, I think he took the most notes from that Brit pop style that you're talking about, where you just have very pretty medley, like melodies and, and instrumentation, but then you like dig just a little bit deeper into the lyrics. Like, I remember when I finally really read the lyrics to Tonight Tonight, and I'm like, Oh, this is a really sad song. Yeah. Like, this is a really, really sad song. Talk about sad. I, I looked a little deeper into this song, and something else that Richard Ashcroft said in an interview was, like, part of the inspiration for this song was that his father died suddenly of a brain hemorrhage when he was only 11 years old. And he said that his dad was an office clerk who worked 9 to 5 and got nowhere. And then that's what made him realize that, like, that sort of life wasn't for him which made him pursue music and a creative life. So, I mean, it's it's as dark as it is light. You know, it's, a, it's as sad as it is inspiring. And, yeah, I think that's a pretty beautiful thing about this song. And from what I read, I, it made me like Richard Ashcroft a lot, who for all I knew about him is he was the hunk walking down the street in the music video. For anyone who hasn't seen the music video, it's just this – tall lanky guy walking down the street running into people (laughs) knocking over a woman uh just and just singing the words to the song eventually at the end of the video at the very end of the video the rest of his buddies in the band meet up with him and they all walk down the street together because as you all know there's nothing better than walking down the street with your buddies (laughs) (laughs) the video has 671 million views which is 
pretty wild and a giant number. I didn't realize also that this song was such a sports anthem. Really? Apparently the Seattle Seahawks used this song at their games. Apparently this is a very popular song that is used in England at soccer games, a.k.a. what they call football games there. And apparently Richard Ashcroft, it pained him (laughs) to hear the song played at these giant events because he wasn't receiving the royalties on the song, which later changed in 2019 when the Rolling Stones decided to give them give him the rights back to the song, which he was very grateful for. Which also led to what I think is very cool, that as soon as it was announced that the Rolling Stones had given the Verve back the rights to the song, so many people bought the digital version of the song that it mm. hit its billboard peak in 2019 when it reached <laughs> number 13 on the charts. Oh, good for him. Wow. Man. Humanity came through on that one. That's great. <laughs> uh, what I read about the band in general, The Verve, is all the standard stuff. Like, it sounds like what I've read about, like, Oasis and what I've read about, like, you know, every big this style of music band from Britain in the 90s. It's like the same story. There's drugs involved. There's fighting involved. There's a breakup. There's whatever. It's all like the stuff you would expect almost when you listen to the music. It's what you would expect (laughs) if that I don't mean to generalize, but it's just the same story you've heard so many times before. And this song was recorded during a reunion. They had already broken up once before this song came out. Their credentials prior to Bittersweet Symphony are nuts. They were like the opening band for Smashing Pumpkins Siamese Dreams Tour in the UK. They played 1994's Lollapalooza. Like they were like all in that genre, but they didn't have a hit until after they broke up and took two years off to like reform and do this song. I, I did not know that, seriously. And I almost, I wasn't even alive then. So maybe I'll give myself, I couldn't have attended Lollapalooza that year. wasn't even born yet. But I will say it's interesting because my family has a bit of like an eclectic kind of, lo- there's, there's lots of different influences at the dinner table in my house. And it's weird because I feel like I would have heard the Verve playing like at one, at at some point, maybe I didn't. I didn't recognize it. To me, I'm I'm thinking now that there's probably a handful of songs that I seriously did not know were written by by the verb. Yeah, I didn't know any of these other songs. To be honest, first of all, before I get into, I do want to get into. We have to get into more of their catalog to decide to make some opinions about this band. But first of all, one thing I wanted to know is like, so there's the verve and there's the verve pipe. So the verve means vigor and spirit or enthusiasm. So the spirit pipe, the enthusiasm <laughs> pipe, as far as that other band, which hmm. there are a lot of pipes that can give you some enthusiasm, I'm sure. Um, yeah, seems little. Uh, seems but, a little uh, suggestive. Anyway, I wanted to get that out of the way. Now I want to talk about the Verve's music in general, which I dug into. I don't know if you guys dug into what I would say about the Verve is to my ears all the songs are the same bpm (laughs) every single one of them every single song every single song is like a plateau to me there are no (laughs) peaks and valleys in these songs they are just like what i would say to someone who hasn't dug in deeper on the verve is do you like bittersweet symphony well get ready because all the rest of the songs are exactly like that song except not quite as good <laughs> that's that's my experience with this band is like sure it'd be nice to have on in the background um, it sounds like if Radiohead after the Pablo Honey album decided to just not get unique and original and experimental and just make pop music it's like a not as interesting Coldplay which is interesting because I do believe that Coldplay covered this song and I'm not a Coldplay fan either but if you like Coldplay and you want to hear songs that aren't even as good as Coldplay then you might want to check out this band in my opinion it's just it's totally fine music it's apparently huge in England the analogy that makes me think of like when I think of the verb is like (laughs) it's okay this is gonna maybe this will be controversial I don't know but like there are lots of people who love, like, Imagine Dragons. They sell out arenas and, like, they have songs for, like, <laughs> like basketball teams to come out. But I've never, I've never spoken to someone and been like, what's your favorite band? And they're like, probably Imagine Dragons. For some reason, it's hard to find that. Everyone's like, man, the Verve, like... Yeah, I, yeah, I, 
I don't know. I guess maybe there's some people out there whose favorite band is The Verve. And I think that like a pretty interesting thing from a band perspective, a songwriting perspective, like I was a producer that we worked with long ago that said this, and it's always been something that stuck in my mind is like you're, you're influenced by bands or albums or artists. You don't, don't try to make something that's as good as that. Try to make something that strive to make something that's better than that. that to try to top that. If you love Jimmy Eat World Clarity, try to make an album better than that. If that is your influence, don't try to make something as good as that or in that ballpark. Strive to make something, always be striving to make something better than that. And when I hear The Verve, if I knew someone whose favorite band was The Verve, I would be, I would seriously be like, have you ever listened to Radiohead? Because it's the, it's another, British band that started in the '90s. That's in this. That, that that's just so much better than this band. But it's in that same vein. Or if that's too out there for you, I don't know. Listen to Oasis. <laughs> I I mean, I, not that I'm like a huge Oasis fan either. But at least some of those songs really stand out to me and have some some dynamic to them. Like this band, just every song the same tempo that this could you make an argument though that because this is coming from someone who's never been that big of a fan of even the verve but over the last couple years has developed a real appreciation for the song bittersweet symphony specifically do you think that the song itself is strong enough that it's just like hey if you're only going to be able to cash in on one really good song like they found that really good song at least yeah yeah, for sure. I think this is a really good song. I'll give it to him there. Like, Yeah, agreed. I, yeah. I guess I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not trying to be negative. I mean, this is a great band. I think they're really, really great band. I just wonder, like, what am I missing? What style? I, I saw them described as, like, sort of psychedelic, and I don't really hear, yeah. I don't hear that too much. I hear straightforward sort of indie but also so mainstream sounding music and something about this doesn't connect with me and I would be someone inclined to connect with a band like this I think I think that like I am a target demographic of this band and I just don't know why it why the catalog why the the deeper catalog doesn't connect with me because it seems like it really should i I feel like also the emphasis for distribution was also based more on live performance at the time this record released too in in my opinion it's um so you kind of imagine like if you go and see like the talking heads live it's uh one person acoustic guitar one song next song it's three people come out on stage by the end of the show there's like 50 people on stage like a full fake orchestra three drummers it's like wow i cannot wait to go listen to those guys records like if this person was opening for a band that I was really excited to see, I'd be super inclined to go see them. And although this hit it in, what, 2019 with, like, the re-release and everything, um, still, like, when this came out, like, if you went to go see them just play, like, they're touring on their first record, like you said, the dynamics aren't really there. It's not as it's not as captivating. Like, you don't have a moment where everyone's just in the crowd, like, with their, their lighters up and stuff, and then the next moment everyone's just freaking out and, like, going crazy. So it's it's different. It changes the, the energy. The Talking Heads are a perfect example of a band that is so dynamic. The, the difference between Talking Heads songs from Wild Wild Life to Psycho Killer to, you know, Once in a Lifetime, like, the songs are... So different from upbeat to sad songs to happy songs to just you have so much there. And this they've done like straight disco songs. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what I need. This band, if you I, I had the the Verve Essentials playlist on. So this was like a uh, put together playlist of someone put this together who liked the Verve enough to be like, this is if I was going to play someone a song to try to all the songs to try to get them into it. And every song just blended into the last for me. I mean, if you're listening to this and you disagree, I would love to hear about it or, or tell me where the, 
the difference is because every song just kind of sounded the same to me. Like, so let me let me say this. This is what I'm thinking, and this is again coming from not someone who's really listened to that much Verb, but we'll we'll think about it in terms that we all can understand from like our own personal taste. Chris, you were obviously in a band that did a lot of shows with a lot of pop punk bands. And Sam, I would say that your band, uh, while you have a very large catalog of covers of all different genres, the essential sound is very like pop, power pop, pop punk yep. sound. Yeah. So the way I think of it is like this. There are always going to be two schools, right? There's going to be people that just want Blink-182 to record Dude Ranch 14 times. And then there's going to be people that want to hear when they do something different. Or like Alkaline Trio is a great example of like Alkaline Trio some people think that the stuff where they kind of went more into like the gothy sound is like the best stuff that they ever did because they were like breaking out of the trappings. But then there's an equal amount of people who were like, thank God they did this addiction because it was a return to what they sounded like when they were 18 years old. So I think the people who are hardcore into the Verve are probably the same catalog of people that they want their Green Day to sound like Green Day Dookie every single record. They don't want growth. They don't want them to expand out of that. Hey, and you're, you're also going to you're going to laugh about this. But there's also something to be said for being there at the time. And if this band was meant to be in the psychedelic range of music, then maybe you needed to be there and maybe you needed to be on the right drugs to appreciate it. And maybe the reason that they stayed in that same that same tempo and that, that same range was because whatever drug you were on, that's where you wanted to be. And... That could be part of it, too. I don't mean to, like, really pigeonhole them like that and assume. But there, there is a thing like Grateful Dead. Why have I never? I've tried to like the Grateful Dead. I've really tried. There are a few songs here and there. And I like Touch of Grey. And, like, I think that's, like, the song the Grateful Dead fans are probably like, oh, that's that's not real Grateful Dead. That's that's like the, <laughs> that's like the radio hit. But, like, I like that song and maybe one or two other ones. But maybe... The reason I'm not into Grateful Dead is because I wasn't at Grateful Dead shows tripping. Like, and maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. you ha- maybe you have to consume the music that way to have a true appreciation for it. Yeah. And I can respect that actually. And maybe that's the same thing yeah. with the. Well, well, I think that that's I think that that's fair too because like you know we're talking about a band who got sued essentially for for the role from the Rolling Stones, but like this doesn't sound like a song that I would say oh this sounds like early stones what it yeah. does sound like is a song that would be on like beatles revolver or like the white album like this feels right at home with like tomorrow never knows by the beatles in that sense yeah. of like heavy drum like a loop going in the background stuff like that like i could vibe with that sure yeah i agree with the white i agree <laughs> with the white album comment for sure actually i i see it also to say you're breaking my heart with the grateful dead that kills me uh, yeah i do yeah, but I, uh, I, I, it's okay I, it's okay here's the thing though man i don't i respect the hell out of them i think their whole culture is cool i think if i was there i would have had the best time ever (laughs) like but it's just trying to get into i tried i tried so hard well i think that uh, consuming consuming music now we don't have to i think even say this but it's so much different than consuming music back then when it was what you got was literally like what you would go to the store and, and physically purchase. Now you buy CDs so you can remember the name of a bit. I almost laughed when I was handed CDs at like Warp Tour and I was like, great. Now I can like write down the name of your band on my phone and go listen on Spotify. Yeah. It is different. <laughs> I don't know, I suppose, because that that's like none of my my like friends, actually even my, my music community, they're not really into more vintage, like they're not really into like Grateful Dead, for example, or whoever like squeeze or I, I don't know it's just like it is or even talking heads like that is not something that comes across in the conversations here in a in a music community where all we do is our job is music because now it's like you just consume music and then you 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 move on like you you get it and you just keep so to sit down and listen to the verve now when you're just sitting at your desk like i'm gonna get some work done let me put on the verve it's kind of like <laughs> man i my mind is not very stimulated by this that, so i understand that's that's all it is man first and and i just want to mention i love squeeze you yeah, do absolutely oh, love, love them and with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Here, here's what though. Here's what I say, man. Just like I say the verb, this man's great. Just because I'm not connecting to them doesn't mean that they're not great and also just like the grateful dead and and anything else it's like i think they're really great i just wonder what what it is about them that i don't connect with but that that's fine i i think having strong opinions about music is fun (laughs) you know like some things i really love some things i don't and i think talking about that is fun and i think to just be like yeah, that's pretty good. It's just boring. Like I like having strong opinions about music because that's fun to me. And it's rare that you're going to find me saying like, oh, that that sucks. Like it's rare they're going to find me saying that. It's more like I'm trying to figure out what what's not connecting with me. I, it's like I love the Beatles and I love Harry Nilsson and I love the Beach Boys, but why don't I connect with Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or the Rolling Stones? What's the difference there? Where, what am I? Do you think it has anything to do with kind of a preconceived idea of that before you listen to it? Like, do you think it, it, maybe not because you're a musician and it, 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 it affects things like I, that's honestly, I had a trouble. I had trouble getting, I don't even know if this is really the right way to phrase this, but I kind of had trouble getting into to Billie Eilish for a little bit because I think the way it's presented to me, like as someone who kind of creates is I was like, man, there is so much hyper. Like this must be the great, this truly must be the number one song in the world. And that's, that changes things. Yeah. I, I, I completely get what you're saying there. And I, I do agree that you come into it like, Oh, Led Zeppelin has just been, you know, praised as like the rock gods and whatever. And then I listen to it. And I'm like, eh, I like Dire Maker. Dude, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how I kind of feel about like Pink Floyd and, and Zeppelin as well is like, I think that if I had just discovered these little obscure bands on my own, I would have been like, yeah, Pink Floyd and like Led Zeppelin are, are pretty good. But like, because like Led Zeppelin's sometimes in the same conversation as the Beatles is like one of the greatest bands in history. When I listen to that record, I'm like, yeah, like half of this I'm really into and the other half I could do without. So like, are they really the greatest band? And it almost like puts a critical perspective that wouldn't have been there if I just found out about the band. That being said, I do believe that I am able to, at this point in my life, separate what you're saying there, Sam, separate that sort of hype and just listen to it from a melodic from a lyrical, from a songwriting, from a sonic perspective, and really be, regardless of popularity, whether it's a band from my hometown or a band that sold 100 million albums, listen to it at that level and just, does this connect with me? Does this make me feel something? I think that is the main thing. And it's, you know, it's really funny. Sam, you brought up Billie Eilish, but this is somewhat in the same kind of uh, conversation last night a buddy insisted that i watch this youtube to learn about bts the band bts apparently this is the biggest band in the world and i like that dynamite song i get it 
it's a pop jam, but I don't think I got the band. But as I learned about them more, I and and I heard that song with Halsey that I like, and then I heard songs here and there. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get it. I am a fan of pop music, and I get this. I'm not a hater. Yeah, it's perfect that you brought up BTS because BTS is now this you know 20th century pop band that is kind of more engineered to release singles rather than some cohesive piece of of art, namely an album. Like I am right now, like even just corresponding with our team about like track listings for things. And it's, it's weird because it's, it's a different game. Like lots of different producers co-write songs now for a record. And it's different versus having, I mean, let's just say 30 years ago, even, even like a Smashing Pumpkins record. Like I bet if you asked Billy, like, what is the story behind this record? There's probably no mistake in any of the song titles in the name of the record, which songs were put where. I think it was more kind of emphatic back then of of track listing, and you listen to this as a whole. And as far as BTS goes, I must say, I, I also did not get the hype, but yeah, I, I think BTS is pretty good. Also, I think BTS probably has something going for them because they tend to challenge a lot of Korean stereotypes. Like, they do kind of supersede a little bit more than just like, oh, they release a song. It's like, they they dress this way, and there's like, their military obligations that have to fulfill, and like, they're still trying to like, learning. Like, there are lots of things that are very like, yeah, you could probably only do this if you came to America and did it. I think I've said this on the show before, but I have a friend who grew up in Japan who is like, the biggest BTS fan I've ever met. So much so that when her and I both had movie passes and she would make me go see every BTS documentary that came out in theaters, which was like every three months, they had a new documentary about the band. And sometimes it was just like a live concert that we would sit and watch in a theater for two hours, but like sold out theaters in like, the suburbs of Philadelphia with just diehard BTS fans packed in the theater to just like watch a subtitled documentary about the recording of like the next album that they were going to release. Yeah. That's insane. And Sam, I I wanted to say to you is that I, I'm still a believer in the album. I love albums. Yeah. I'm all about keeping up with the times. I know that we're living in a, a singles world. I know we're living in a world where a song can get popular on freaking TikTok, and that's how it could become yeah. a hit. Like I'm not yeah. blind to this stuff, but I still think an album is important. I'm all about like, hey, release the songs one at a time. Uh, release six songs over the course of eight months, and then drop the whole album. Do the you know what I've seen everyone from the 1975 do to like uh, whoever. I'm I'm down with that, but I do think an album for me is still an important thing. Did you ever have friends who would pop a CD in the car and hit shuffle? Because that would drive me absolutely nuts. Because I'd be like, yo, they put this in a specific order for yeah. a specific reason. Yeah, We live in a shuffle yeah, world now, though, man. We live in a shuffle world. <laughs> we live in a sh- it's a shuffle world. Of the- well, that's, I mean, the advent of the playlist was so... I don't know. I mean, very under the radar, but you think about it, and it's like, I use playlists all the time, but like, you give consumers the power to just be like... Yeah, I'll just I'll pick a song or two. I'll throw in some of this person too, and I'll just hit shuffle. And it's like, I mean, okay, like sure, you're you are entitled to do whatever you want. But you think about that, like imagine explaining the idea of like a playlist to some like my my parents growing up. Imagine having a device where you just have any song in the world you want. But if you can get past that, just saying now, imagine you can just create your own record and just draw from any it doesn't even have to be the same artist anymore if you don't want to i get angry by the dumbest little things because like i'm going to use chris as an example chris knows that my favorite <laughs> album by his band is just say yes i think that that album is fantastic so i have all of the songs from just say yes in a ton of different spotify playlists but like i get so stressed when i'll like do a shuffle and it'll bring up a song called the other piano man and I love that song, but that song ends with the instrumental lead into the next track, <laughs> Castaway. Yeah. And it is such a like frustrating situation to hear that build up. And I'm like, oh man, here comes Castaway. And then it's like, I don't know, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio right. comes on. Like, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Sam, me and Matt are older than you. We had the experience of like the in-between. So your parents may have not had that sort of thing but then we had we got to make mixtapes and mix cds but you had to own yeah you had to have actually to make those you had to have probably bought 
the album in, in one way or another, unless you were taping songs off the radio or something. Yeah. But now it's very interesting because, yeah, you have access to literally every song ever made. You're making you're going to make a 20 song playlist for someone you like or for a friend. And you have access to a billion songs and you got to narrow it down. Yeah. And Sam, my question to you is, are you putting Bittersweet Symphony on that playlist. Yeah, I because I, now I'm a bit more inspired to go back and, and take a deeper dive into it. And honestly, I wouldn't even stop there. I'd put more of the verb on there. I will credit, so as far as playlisting goes, I will, at least I can speak on, on Spotify's path. I can give them a big thumbs up on like their recommended or daily mix or like yeah. the verb radio. I actually think they do a really good job that. Because I've listened to like, first this is first to 11 radio. And I'm like, yeah, actually this makes perfect sense. Yep. So the days leading up, so I was like, I should really be, I should be getting my feet wet with that because that's probably a great idea. I've heard people complain about this, but I can't really complain about it. I use Apple Music. I mean, I have a Spotify account too, but I use Apple Music. But every week they make a playlist that's like called For You and, and I can't help but hit play on it. And every week I'm finding artists that I like because it's figured it out by the algorithms and stuff who I'm going to like. And I'm adding them to my playlist, <laughs> you know, like I'm fine. That's how I'm, fi I'm finding out about music. And I know that it's kind of a sad way to find out <laughs> in a way like I'm, I'm subject to what Apple music is recommending, but it's pretty right on a lot of times. It's a lot of R and B artists. I like a lot of pop artists that I like, and it's doing a good job when it comes to the verve. I look at like what else was out at the time that this song came out. We're looking at 1997 and uh, around this time there's fly by sugar Ray one headlight by the wallflowers. Oh, uh, oh so good. Par yeah. Paranoid so good. Android by Radiohead love yeah. fool by the cardigans. I mean, these are some pretty good jams. I, I won't lie. Th oh, this yeah. was like a, whatever this week or month was that the verve came out. It was a, pretty solid time for the uh billboard charts every time we do anything that's a that's a hit from the i would say like 93 to 98 i'm just constantly reminded how solid the music was during that like oh, five yeah. year period like that was just great songs yeah i have a question i mean do you think and i'm this is a there's no like redundancy here i really mean it in your opinion people who have, who have really lived through this, like, do you think that it was that solid when it came out or do you think it needed time to marinate to become that very coveted? Because, like, I, those, almost all of those have been top 100 to me and my Spotify, like, wrapped. And it just makes me think, like, if I hadn't lived through that kind of, like, people who had or had not lived through the Verve, like, if I asked somebody who was, like, 17 when that Verve record came out, like, what do they think about it? What do you think their answer would be? I think that, yeah, that that is important to be a, part of it and have that nostalgia connected to it and you know there is that experience this came out in the 90s you know this is pre Spotify it's even pre Napster and you bought the album and a lot of times especially Matt Kelly would because you spent the 15 bucks on the album you really wanted to like it you really listened to it a bunch of times and maybe if I'm impatient about getting into the album maybe you would have like connected to those songs more and maybe maybe i would even if i give the verve a little bit more of a chance here i i mean i remember so i this came out when i was 13 12 or 13 so for me like i remember that i was so into like my rock music at that point like i was listening to pretty much punk music and grunge music that was like my go-to and I, I guess 97 it was like the post grunge stuff so i was really into like bush and stuff like that mm. And I remember that I didn't like this song because it didn't fit. Like when it would come on the radio, it felt like the rock had stopped for five minutes and I would like change stations. But now I think because I didn't listen to it that much when it was like everywhere, I love it more than a lot of other people who maybe it had gotten played out for them at that time. Because now I can look at it and I'm like, oh, there's a direct line from the Verve to like the Gorillas. Like this was such a weird song and then it's like, okay, a couple of years later, the dude from Blur is like, yo, I can make some weird, like, I'm going to get Ice Cube's cousin to rap over top of, like, a very reggae-inspired hip-hop beat, and I'm going to, like, mutter a couple lyrics about doing drugs, but it's just going to be, like, this really catchy, I'm not happy, I'm feeling sad type lyric, and, like, it's going to be massive, because the Verve was able to just take an orchestra sample 
and sing the same lyrics over it with a crazy drum beat and it had a huge hit from it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's also a different context that the Verve exists in now. Like, so you mentioned TikTok earlier, which is obviously largely responsible for like the pop culture that's happening. And it's like people are getting back into very like Flower Child, like Fleetwood Mac, like Deadhead, like bell bottom jeans. And my, that's what I'm noticing. People are getting back into like playing like their Stratocasters and wearing like very, I don't know, like fluorescent clothing. And so, so I feel like the Verve now has more of a place to kind of kind of take off if they wanted to. It's I don't know, it's just my opinion, I guess. That guy on the skateboard with the ocean spray did wonders for Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, man, we got to make a decision here. Is The Verve a one-hit thunder or was it a one-hit blunder? Did they deserve to have the success that they did or was this purely a one-hit wonder matt start with you i mean when i was researching this band the amount of accolades like i'm gonna i'm gonna just rapid fire read through these real quick but the answer i'm gonna land on after i'm done this is that they are absolutely a one-hit thunder they were ranked uh rolling stone nnme named it the single of the year in 1997 it was the voted the eighth best music video of all time by channel four NME ranked it the 18th greatest indie song of all time. Q Magazine named it one of the 10 greatest tracks ever in a poll that was conducted with 50 songwriters. Pitchfork named it the 29th best song of the 90s. Pace Magazine included it as one of the 25 most awesome one-hit wonders of the 90s. Rolling Stones ranked it as 392 on the greatest songs of all time. And according to acclaimed music, it is the 59th most celebrated song in the history of popular music. And then tying into our stuff a little bit too, Ace Sanders recorded a cover of the song recently featuring guest vocals from Aaron Marsh, Craig Owens, Alex from All Time Low, Bryce from Rocket Summer, Kenny from Starting Line, Matt Thiessen, Dwayne Oakham, and Mark Hoppus. Uh, so yeah, Thunder All The Way. This song is incredible, and it has all the praise that you could ever ask for for a song like this. That wouldn't happen if it was a blunder, even if the rest of the career is just kind of mediocre. Okay. I'm going to assume, I'm <laughs> going to assume, Sam, that you're going to give it Thunder too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think it's awfully uh, ironic that they got all those Rolling Stones accolades. I must, I'm kind of, I'm kind of <laughs> laughing at myself now. They're just like sitting back on the, the boards, just like, yeah, you know what? That is a pretty good song, isn't it, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a thumbs up. I'm also totally willing to admit that I, I probably am not able to fully understand the scope of the verb. Again, one of those, I don't know if many people are just like, I know exactly who that song is by, but I would be lying if I said that probably everybody that is in my music community would absolutely know what that is. And I bet some of them are even just as familiar with those accolades. And I just, again, it's it's a bit of a defining thing for that era. I would say, like, that is just part of the sound. That is something that's, like, super sounds of the 70s or something like that. Or you turn on lithium, it's like, you can't escape it. I feel like the longevity just kind of nails the coffin in, that it's the thunder. Yeah, I think you sold me on the lo the longevity part. I think a lot of their songs sound alike. <laughs> that's my that's my major criticism of this band is it doesn't go the the full gamut of music. It's kind of like if you like this song, you're probably going to kind of like the rest of their catalog, but I'll give them a thunder based on the merit of this song. I do like this song. It does put you in a state of mind. It puts you in a sort of pensive mood, I guess would be the way I would put it. And they apparently have had a big impact, especially in England. And so, yeah, I'll give them the thunder seal of approval. I, I have one question for Sam real yeah. quick. Uh, it's going to be two two-sided question, honestly. I want you to tell us a little bit about First to Eleven, but since you were kind of the person who, as we understood before we hit record, kind of spearheaded the Bittersweet Symphony cover and played all the instruments for it, is there anything awkward about the composition of this song that you figured out while playing it that would be like a cool fun fact to send us off on? Cool, that's a very good question. So I'm not sure if there's like an Easter egg, so to speak, in this song, but I can say as far the, as the composition goes, it's uh, it's open season for the vocals to really shine through. I mean, it is 
it is a bit repetitive. I'm sure we could probably find some common ground on that, but not in any sort of bad way. I mean, the, that was that was kind of, I say it was a challenge, but I really should be saying that was the fun part of arranging this was, I mean, it was just, it's A, B, C, B, A, like all over the place. It was just like, what do I want to do with this? I can do anything with this. The notes are going to say, it's always going to be, dun, 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 dun. it's not going to change. It's not going anywhere. I think it's great. Man, you got me thinking now, though. My favorite part of the arrangement we did was, like, the the B section where the vocals change from, like, that main melody. I, I probably am doing a, a bad job describing it, but I think that I think the song deserves a lot more, like, awesome covers out there. It deserves a little more attention. All right. And tell us about the band real quick before we sign up. Sure. Out. Band's doing well. We just recently, I think in December, hit a million subscribers. We are kind of on, like, a crazy streak of collabs right now. Just collab after collab, both locally here in uh, in dreary, eerie Pennsylvania. And then also, we're doing a lot of collab did both when a YouTuber named 10 Second Songs. We have, we just did Dream On. And we have some other ones that I don't, I don't know if I'm actually allowed to even, if I'm allowed to disclose them, but then also um, we have some original stuff coming out. And by the time this is out, we'll have original music out on the first 211 channel. You guys can do time traveling, go back in time to March 18th when this has already been released and you can go find out that we've now put out some original music. So everything's going well. And uh, and I'm, I'm super excited about the next, I think two covers away from the day that this is recorded, the next like two Thursdays away is going to be one of my favorite covers. So Nice, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you. This was so much fun. I love this. Oh, yeah. This was awesome. Why do you hide when your phone lights up the door? Turn in a just to keep us This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the new song Just a Friend by Concrete Castles, which debuted on First to Eleven's YouTube channel this week. Find them on the Concrete Castle social media accounts in our episode notes. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit WeKnowPodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can help make your show sound as professional as possible. And let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at OneHitThunderPodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Do you still feel her in your shotgun seat? Flying down the 405, did you think about me? Broken memories clouding up in your mind. I guess I'll never mean as much, but I still try. listening to the Geekscape Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.